My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast, a place for extended, in-depth discussions about the rebirth of virtuous masculinity happening around the world today. My guest this week is a preacher, missionary, and filmmaker who's produced one of the most important documentaries available today. From the Third Adam series, please welcome Spencer Smith. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. For the third week in a row on this podcast, I'm reminding you, we're at war. Tomer Strolight and I talked about the war on money. Lawson Speaks and I talked about the war that institutions are waging on everyday citizens. But perhaps you've also heard me say that we're not truly in a cultural war or a political war. We are in a spiritual war. The war is a secret religion versus Christianity. If you attended my Exiting the New Age presentation, you'll remember how I proved that the religions of the world are being syncretized into a single, one-world religion. That religion goes by many names, Theosophy, New Age, and Mystery Babylon. That world religion worships a woman. But the Christian God reveals himself as Father. So in a very real sense, We are in a war of the false, divine, feminine God versus the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Once you see this basic truth, your world will never be the same. Feminism, ayahuasca, the woke religion, all of these and more are expressions of the divine feminine, which is why they all hate masculinity and the most virtuous masculine religion on earth, Christianity which stands in direct opposition to everything they represent. Which brings me to my guest this week. His name is Spencer Smith, and he's the director and creator of the Third Adam series of documentaries, as well as a preacher, evangelist, husband, and father of four. More than anyone I've seen, Spencer Smith has documented the existence of the so-called divine feminine and its efforts to infiltrate American culture, which it has done, and the American Evangelical Church, which it is doing. I'm fortunate to go to a faithful church, Apologia, in Phoenix, Arizona. But others around the country are not so lucky. They watch their churches adopting woke beliefs, ordaining female pastors, and promoting experience, feeling, and belonging over sin, repentance, and redemption. Why? Because of the influence of the divine feminine, which emphasizes unity at all costs, over the discomfort of division due to truth, which is the message of Christ. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Matthew 10, 34-36 This is one of those things that you have to see for yourself to understand. And once you do, you'll see it everywhere, and the warfare that we're living through will finally make sense. 
some of what Spencer has to share in his outstanding documentaries may seem a bit out there, but let me tell you from personal experience in the New Age, which is dominated, owned, and devoured by the Divine Feminine, it's very, very real. Americans have ignored it at their peril, and Christians do so as well, perhaps at even greater peril, which is why Spencer's message is so needed today. In our conversation, we discussed the Third Adam series and its origins, Spencer's testimony of how he was saved, his overseas missionary work in Africa, syncretism versus fundamentalism, the divine feminine's influence on the church, mystery Babylon and the false Holy Spirit, and finally, why Santa Claus is a Calvinist. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. I have some enormous guests coming up on the show, some of my biggest ever. So share this episode and the podcast with a friend so the Renaissance can reach more men. Also, the first edition of the Renaissance of Men digital conference series is coming up on Saturday, March 25th, which, depending on when you're listening to this, could be very soon. This will be a full-day exploration of six masculine virtues led by some of the most dynamic speakers and content creators out there today. At the end of the day, you will walk away with a better appreciation of what it means to be a man, and with specific advice and guidance for how you can cultivate these virtues in your life. This is not a drill. I would argue that everything we want as men boils down to virtue. And rather than pursuing masculinity as some nebulous concept, through cultivating virtue, we become what we most want to be, what we can be, what God made us to be. Visit renofmen.com conference to learn more about the speakers and buy tickets today. Use the code podcast to take $5 off. And as a last minute bit of news, I'm excited to announce our new conference sponsor, Reformation Coffee Company. Reformation Coffee Company is a small specialty roaster in Springfield, Missouri, run by the pastor of a Reformed church. He's been roasting for 15 years, starting at a Whirly Pop popcorn popper and growing to a five-pound commercial roaster. His goal is to build Christendom through serving the Reformed Christian community. And of course, it helps that I'm a big fan of their coffee, especially the Guatemala roast. Keep listening to find out more or go to reformationcoffee.com and enter the code SUBFREE to get a free bag of coffee with your monthly subscription. Thanks to Brandon Lansdowne and Matt Reynolds for being a part of this. Once again, go to reformationcoffee.com and enter the code SUBFREE to get a free bag of coffee with your monthly subscription. And please welcome this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, the producer and director of the Third Adam series of documentaries, Spencer Smith. Bro, Spencer, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. What's up, man? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Man, I just discovered uh, your third Adam series last summer. A friend showed it to me, and I remember I just started devouring it. And and I've spent I spent twenty years in the New Age before getting saved. And you're so spot on with so much of it. So as soon as I watched these these videos, I knew we had the chat. Amen. Thank you very much. We've got uh, right now. We've got over two million views on that whole series, and it's wow. uh, it's really been a blessing to see people respond to it. I I put it together just because I felt like I I should. And I never would have thought it would have developed into what it is. So I appreciate you watching that and recommending that to folks. Yeah, oh, for sure. Uh, I, I know a lot of people who have been really blessed by it and who I've sent to it and it, uh, sent it to. And, and they're like, that it helps explain so many things that they've been seeing but didn't quite understand. Yeah, yeah. So how did you, so real quick, how did you 
get into making this material? How, what, what, what inspired you to make Third Adam One in the first place? Because it's been, it's become quite a project. Yeah, it has. I'm actually working on the fourth one right now, and it's it's been quite a ride. <laughs> um, basically, what it was, I, you know, we were working helping national pastors. I was working with the Small Mission Board in North Carolina, helping national pastors in Kenya get churches started, and um, just you know working with those guys. And I sat down with them and I said, okay, you know, you guys tell me some of the things that you struggle with, some of the things that you deal with. And instantly they're all like, oh yeah, the charismatic movement is like the enemy number one out here. It's it's the Mm -hmm. worst thing that could ever happen. And I said, well, tell me what what you're seeing. And they kind of let me in on a little dirty secret. They said, well, basically the the charismatics are, are the same people as the pagans. It's just that they're just using the name Jesus for all of all the things that they do. Gotcha. And I, I, to me, that was mind blowing and almost, almost a bridge too far for me at the time. And then I got to watching it and looking and uh, they, they took me to a charismatic church that was just like this tin building that was just made of sticks and tin was the walls. And, uh, and they said, just sit here and listen to these people for a minute. And you heard moaning and screaming and moaning and screaming. And it was, it was creepy is what it was. And they were uh, they were crying Jesus and Jesus and Jesus. And then they took me off to another place, you know, a couple of days later. And they said, okay, you see those people off on the hill? And it was like an African ritual, like an ancestor worship ritual, something like that. And, uh, and they said, listen to them. And they were making the same moanings and groanings and doing the same basic rituals. The only difference was the name of Jesus. And I thought to myself, this can't be. This is just, <laughs> like, this is an anomaly in this part of the world. Mm-hmm. And it's just unique to hear. Well, I came back to the West and I said, well, let me just, let me just look at like the charismatic movement. And, and that led me to guys like Hillsong. And I looked at the lifestyle of Carl Lentz and I said, this guy's shady. He's got some problems here. And I could just, mm-hmm. I could tell instantly. And, uh, and then I started watching their services and watching how they worshiped. And they were doing the same thing that those people in that 10 building were doing. And those ancestor worships were doing. And I came to the conclusion, just doing a, a pretty in-depth study of comparative world religions that the Hindus, the ancestral worshiping pagans, the Buddhist and the occult and the modern charismatic movement were all doing the same thing because they are the same thing. Hmm. And that was the premise of the third Adam series. And, um, you know, I'm digging a third Adam four right now. I got stuff on Kenneth Copeland that is straight out of the Kabbalah. I mean, straight out of Jewish witchcraft, what he's saying, almost, almost quotes it verbatim. But people, I, I think for Christians, you know, we we know who we know who Spurgeon is, we know who John Wesley is, you know, we know all that stuff. But like the average Christian doesn't know who Alistair Crowley is, let alone has read his stuff and knows what the man actually teaches. Right. Um, and I, for me, that was a, a dark area because you, you know you just you just don't. I don't want to go into that. I don't want to right. look at that and read that. Um, but I did to I did just a little bit. I I, I just kind of stuck my head in there a little bit just to get a brief overview and came back out and said, "Yeah, that's the same stuff Kenneth Copeland teaches." And it's it, instead of calling it the the ether or the energy force or the light force or you know whatever the Kundalini like the Hindus would, they call it the Holy Spirit. And that's mm. the whole that's the whole premise of the entire series in a nutshell. And there is no lack of material for that. And, and that's where we tie it into prophecy, how I believe in third out of four, the road to Shambhala, we're going to be talking about how basically the whole world's going to be initiated into the cult even farther than they are now. And 
that when they do that, uh, that's going to result in a maybe a, a globalization, a one world government to come together, a one world religion coming together, and they're going to persecute those who don't bow the knee to that. And which that's going to, you know, you're going to have a guy step forward. He's going to be a Maitreya type figure, which is like an antichrist, the antichrist, of course. Um, and and they're going to persecute those who do not go along with this religion. And I tie it all in it and it fits perfectly. And that basically is the whole premise of the whole Third Adam series. Just in a, a Cliff Notes version right there for you. That's excellent. That's, that's, a, that's a great overview. Um, uh, two weeks ago, I did a presentation called Exiting the New Age. It was two and a half hours mm-hmm. online where I documented basically the same things but from within the new age world because that's where yeah. i spent that's where i spent all of my time and so i put all these pieces together this is who they're worshiping and so it's it's a little bit like and you're on the you're on the christian side where these things are coming up within the christian church teaching people within the church how to spot these things and it, i mean this is real you can't really argue that these things exist as uncomfortable as it makes people to acknowledge like no, there's discussions of a one world religion. Why? I mean, that's in the UN. Like as soon as you go looking into who founded the UN, Alice Bailey, like this is, this stuff is real. Like, I don't know how to, I don't know how, you know, but I don't know how to tell listeners like this stuff is real. Yeah. It's very real. And one thing I've noticed about the occult, I, I will, I will study mystery religion. And it's, it's not necessarily the occult because the occult is, a, is just a piece of the pie. It's, yeah. it's mystery religion as a whole. Okay. Someone got onto me the other day and says, Spencer, you're spending way too much time studying the occult. I'm not studying the occult. I'm studying the entirety of mystery religion, which ultimately, when you get outside of Bible-believing Christianity, everything is a form of shade of mystery religion, okay? So that's really what it is. I mean, the uh, Scientology is a shade of mystery religion, okay? Um, and I think it's good for every preacher, especially in, in Christians, to have a good uh, comparative world, world religion understanding. Uh, but... When I when I study all that stuff and look at all that, it just it, it's it's all the same stuff with just a different label on it, and uh, it, it just blows people people's mind because I mean I just I, I dig into it and look at it and and I I show the receipts. I mean I show you what these people are saying, and I show you examples of what they're saying. And you being in the New Age, you you saw of it too. It's it's scary. And and to get back to my original point, the thing about mystery religion is that it hides right in plain view and nobody sees it until somebody points it out. And I, I got a lot of flack in Third Adam 3 when I did uh, Third Adam 3X because I talked about the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, I and I got into the uh, <laughs> I got into the history of all that. In fact, I, got a, I got a Statue of Liberty statue right here. This is the one I used in the documentary. Yeah, the crop. Um, this is a picture of Lucifer. And and the Freemasons worship this this female creature, and they call her Sophia in the Knights Templar. But that's who this is right here, and uh, it it upsets people when you point that out to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, but it's true. It's true. Well, they, I mean, Washington D.C. itself is full of occult symbols: the Vesica Pisces mm-hmm. and the in the Washington Monument, all, all all these things. It's I mean the 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 pentagram layout, you know, the owl shapes everywhere. Like that's yes. these. I mean, this is the thing is it does hide in plain sight. And when you actually Mm -hmm. point out to people, it's too much, it's too much for them to believe. And and I understand, I understand why. Um, But I, I, I think we can look around and we can see the march of the occult all around us, you know, occult, mystery, religion, Kabbalah everywhere. Like you'll see the, the Kabbalistic tree of life, that single symbol pops up in so many different music videos. Like it's in a mm-hmm. Katy Perry music video. Why? Why is yeah. the Kabbalistic tree of life in a Katy Perry music? Is it an accident? No, it's not an accident. No, no. And a lot of people don't realize, but uh, all these Super Bowl halftime shows yeah. and Grammy award ceremonies, all that is an occult ritual right in front of your face. Yeah. 
And uh, it's not entertainment. Please, you know, uh, the occult pretends that it's art and it pretends that it's entertainment and it pretends that it's music. And it is none of those things. It is a ritual being done right in front of your face. And lots of times God's people are not discerning enough to know the difference between the two. What do you think causes the resistance to this information? What do you, what, when you share this with people, you know, who, who are well-intentioned, what is their, what's the number one thing that they have the most friction with? Like what, what causes that, I guess you might say, cognitive dissonance? Well, I think in psychology, there's something called normalcy bias, mm. which is you just believe everybody's just like you. And you believe that, you know, you're, you're a nice guy and you think that everybody in the world out there is a nice guy. And that's why people get robbed. They get scammed. They get all kinds of, they get treated. You know, we think certainly there would be nobody in the United States government that would have nefarious motives. Certainly not. Absolutely not. Um, you know, and so they, they think that way because they, 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 would, they live in a bubble and they think that, uh, they're, that people out there are basically just like them. And, and that's not the case at all. I've, I've traveled the world and I've seen some horrible things and I'm telling you, I, I, I don't trust anybody, I, you know, uh, but I think that um, when you challenge the things that people believe, automatically you just, you, you have to, you have to prove it to people. And, you know, like, like, for example, if somebody were to come to me and show me the, uh, uh, something that I had believed for a very long time and said, this is what, this is why you're wrong. I would have a very hard time with that. And so would you. And that's where these people are. Mm. Uh, I've had people come out of Kenneth Copeland ministry. I've had, uh, I've had people contact me that went through the Bethel school of healing and supernatural ministry. They've graduated from it, got a degree from that place. And, and just come to me broken and email me saying, I can't believe I never saw this. And that's, that's a tough pill to swallow. And, and I try, I really try to be gracious and patient with people because I understand this is, this is heavy stuff. And I, I, I really, um, you know, I really try not to be a just rude and, and, you know, Hey, you, you bunch of idiots. How could you be so dumb? Because this isn't an intelligence thing. This is a spiritual issue. I, I know doctors and lawyers who have got caught up in this spiritual deception and they're not dumb people. They're just deceived. And so with that, I try to be meek and try to be gracious and try to be patient with people. But I think if people give me a good hearing, they see that I do have a point. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Baptist. I go to a church that's, you know, we call ourselves an independent Baptist church because we're not really in a convention or anything. And, uh, and, I have people that are Presbyterians that watch it. And of course they're kind of slanted. Oh, he's just a Baptist. Well, then they realize I, I kind of have a point, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and I try to, I try to be as, as put all the facts out there in a, in a nice way, try to be gracious and kind of patient with people. And I think when people see that, they realize that, yeah, Spencer's got a point. Mm-hmm. And, and I, that's really, I'm, I'm glad to just, people just give me that. Thank God for that. You know? Right. Right. <laughs> Well, so at what point when you started working on the third Adam series, what, what are, what were some one or two maybe of the major turning points for you where you started to recognize that you were, you were onto something much bigger than you had realized? Well, part of it was, um, I I think the Lord through his providence had ordained for me to release the third Adam series, third Adam one, when I did, Mm. um, I released that thing February 1st, 2020, and I was in Nairobi. Oh wow! Okay, and uh, I, I filmed I filmed probably a third of that documentary in Nairobi in January 2020. I released it February 1st, 2020, on YouTube, and of course March is when all the COVID stuff happened. So you got basically the whole world sitting at home 
watching this third Adam documentary. And so that's, that's one of the things I, I look at and say that the Lord did that praise yeah. God. Uh, but then also I, I, you know, I, I'd put out a video about Hillsong being terrible and I'd get a good response, but, but people just kept begging me over and over again, please do another one of these. There's more to this. Please help me with this. And just, just because of the response that I got, I did more and more and more of it. But for me, the, um, the moment where I realized that this was a smoking gun was when I realized that the charismatic movement promises you everything that Satan promised Eve in the Garden of Eden. And it, you know, your eyes should be opened. You should, you can be as gods. And I got the little gods doctrine. I got into uh, the prosperity and, you know, it, it's, I, I jokingly call it like uh, Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite, vote for me and all your dreams will come true. Yeah. You know, that basically is what the charismatic movement teaches. Believe what we believe and all your dreams will come true. Well, that's, that's, I mean, I can almost read that word for word in the writings of Helena Blavatsky. Yeah. And that's what really shook me. I mean, I am, I, that wigged me out, man. And I, I said, oh boy, I, I, I just could, you know, you, sometimes you see things and you can't unsee it and, and you have to say something. And that's where I was with that. And I've been, I've been saying something ever since. <laughs> when you spotted the overlap between some of the things that, that the, the real heart of the charismatic movement was saying that lined up with Helena Blavatsky and theosophy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then Alice Bailey, yep. uh, you can read the works of Alice Bailey and talk about how, you know, the universal language of, of the Christ consciousness is love. And she would say stuff like that. And I'm thinking, did she, does she go to Hillsong church or, I mean, you know, that's, that's what she's saying. Yeah. And it's all love, love, don't judge, love, love, be positive. Don't judge, love, love, love. And I'm thinking that's exactly what Alice Bailey teaches. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where it got me because I mean, I just read the Bible objectively and of course judge nots there, but then the whole chapter goes on. Matthew seven talks about how to judge false teachers. Uh, he that spiritual judgeth all things. Um, and, and the Bible doesn't take you to stand on love. We want to be loving, but the Bible says stand on truth. And sometimes truth is uncomfortable and unpleasant, but it's where we have to stand if we're going to believe the Bible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a book, um, I've got it around here somewhere. It's called, uh, the abusive wife by Dr. David Edgington. And it sort of talks about mm. how, uh, you know, how, how, uh, women abuse their husbands. It's a Christian book. He's a, he's a pastor and here in Phoenix talks about how women can abuse their husbands spiritually, not phys not necessarily physically, but spiritually through reviling. And he says in that book that, you know, the, the, the Christian church has been taken, and so is the world today, has been taken by a spirit of fairness. And he said, fairness is not a biblical concept. Justice and mercy are biblical, are biblical concepts. And so when we're talking about love and fairness, like that's everything in the world today. It's like, no, 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 justice and mercy, you know, which is related to law, is where these things really are. And so once you start talking about things like, oh, we all need to come together and we all need to love each other, like that's true to an extent, but not outside of the realm of law. Yes, yes. And that what you just said sounds like uh, Third Adam Three, Rise of the Divine Feminine. Yeah. Where we talked about shift from patriarchy to matriarchy and the churches are shifting from patriarchal theology to matriarchal theology. And that's where the Beth Moores come in and ruin everything. Um, you know, and I, I, I'd say this, all sound theology is expressed in a masculine tone. Yeah. And I, I like, I like what you're doing here with the masculine emphasis because men, you know, all, all good theology is, is expressed masculinely, if mm -hmm. that's even a word in a masculine tone. Yeah. All bad theology today is expressed in a feminine or matriarchal tone. 
And, um, you know, I, what was it, uh, you know, you talked about, uh, Durbin and white, they, they, you know, debated that Brandon kid, that kid yeah. is the divine feminine, unbelievably to, to the nth degree. I mean, yeah. they, I've never seen anybody bend over backwards to warp the Bible like that guy does. Right. And, uh, and I, you know, so what you saw was a, a almost a, a masculine versus a feminine tone of theology there. And, and that was very telling really. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I commend, uh, Durbin and what what they did with that that was that was that was pretty good and uh, so but that that's what we're dealing with it I think I think all this worship that we're having come out today all the Phil Wickham's all the Brandon Lakes all this stuff are are these femboys who are doing this ooh ah gooey gooey Jesus worship and it's leading people into heresy because all sound theology is expressed in a masculine tone not in a feminine tone and I think all true worship is expressed in a masculine tone not in a feminine tone. I mean, all hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. I mean, that's, that is not what's being sung today. It's all ooey gooey, I love you, give me kisses, daddy God, smoochy smoochy, lovey lovey. That's, I mean, that's like, that's like, it sounds like homosexuals are singing this music. Yeah. And, and I'm not a fan of it. And that's, that's just my opinion though, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're right. I mean, I, I got saved in 2020. And so as I started coming into the Christian church and started to uh, come to understand Christianity, I started seeing a lot of things that were very familiar from the new age world. And I was trying to figure out what was going on. It's like, what is, yeah. what something about this doesn't feel right because I had been living in that for so long and that wasn't right either. Um, but it, at least it wasn't hiding in the new age world and the church world. It kind of felt like it was hiding or supposed to be something different. And I, I remember I read a book um, about uh, the movement in the early 20th century called muscular Christianity which was like a, a Teddy Roosevelt thing, sort of around that era. And uh, the author of the book, his name is Brett McKay, and he runs the Art of Manliness blog. And, and he, what he was saying is that yeah. there are two kinds of songs. There are songs that are about Jesus and songs that are to Jesus. And songs that are about Jesus are the kinds that you're talking about, like, uh, like A Mighty Fortress is Our God. That's a song about Jesus. Versus the songs that are to him are more like Jesus is my boyfriend. And that's a very feminine style of worship. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I read that distinction, I got it. And I could see that because I had heard a lot of that, you know, Jesus is my boyfriend, <laughs> lovey, lovey, kissy, kissy, daddy, God. <laughs> I had heard a lot of those songs and that didn't feel right. And, and I could understand that it was a, the feminization of Christian worship. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what we're dealing with. In our documentary called it The Rise of the Divine Feminine. Yeah. And that's actually the esoteric term that they use to express uh, really, basically the, the occultic world teaches that masculine is on top of feminine, okay? Mm -hmm. And that they call that patriarchy. And they, they talk about, you know, women are being put down and women, you know, we us, us WNBA players that have 500 people come watch our games every night are not getting paid the same as LeBron James, who's selling out arenas every week, okay? Well, okay, first of all, the re I can do math so I can understand why you're not getting paid. Second of all, I've watched you ladies do these very intense layups over and over again where you it takes you three times to do So you're not even skilled, okay? But they, they view that as some sort of oppression, whereas we understand that God did that. God created the man to be the leader of the woman, not because women have less value, but because women have an immense value. And, and there's a satanic attack on women today. And that was a, carried out in the Garden of Eden. So God put a, a godly man between the woman and the serpent mm -hmm. to protect her because she has immense value. And that's called patriarchy. So men are supposed to provide, protect, and lead and be the high priest of their homes. 
But men today won't do that. And that's, that's, that's really the source of all of our problems today. It's politically, religiously, uh, socially. I mean, all, all this high crime that you're seeing, these young teenage boys running around. I saw one today, some kid ran up behind uh, a man on the street with a brick and he was 14 years old, just hit the guy in the back of the head with a brick and ran off. Okay, that is a fatherless home. I don't even have to know the kid to know that that child has never had a father in his life. And men are absent in society today, and that's what that is ultimately all of our problems. And in the church today, men, like I, I, I think of the church of Thyatira in Revelation chapter two, I believe, that they suffered that woman Jezebel to teach and to, to, to uh, uh, seduce the servants, commit fornication, and eat things offered to idols, okay? Men need to step up and let, tell the Jezebels to sit down but they won't do it because they're not godly men of character and conviction. And, and they can't because of that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk more about this Jezebel spirit because I, I finished watching third Adam three X got, you know, brilliant, mm-hmm. brilliant. I, I liked it even better than the original third Adam three. And, and you started talking about the Jezebel spirit as part of that. And, um, and I went just looking and I found a talk by what Michael Brown was. He gave a talk about the Jezebel spirit in 2019 and that was excellent. And then that just led me on this giant, you know, uh, this giant journey into YouTube to finding all these talks about it that I'd never heard of. And I don't hear that. I don't hear that Jezebel spirit talked about anymore. It's not, it is not a topic, but it feels like it's floating outside a lot of these different things that are going on. Yeah. Well, um, you know, there's a lot of people call it the Jezebel spirit. I, I don't, I just call it the doctrine of Jezebel. Um, because I, I don't know if I can say biblically that it, that it's a spirit, um, I think a Jezebel, by biblical definition, is a woman who is purposefully operating outside the order that God has given for women. In a sense, she's a feminist, <laughs> and uh, and that's that's ultimately what a Jezebel is biblically. And if you go study the life of Jezebel in the in the Old Testament, you have Ahab who was extremely wicked, and you have Jezebel. She her 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 name actually is Jezebel, like the Old Testament god Baal. Okay, because and her her father's name I, f- I forget his name, but he had the word Baal in his name as well. So this is Jezebel that we're dealing with, and she was vindictive. She was hateful. Um, you know what she did to Naboth to get his vineyard was you know she sent two sons of Baal uh, in there to lie, saying that he had blasphemed God. They executed him because of it, and she stole his property. Uh, so rules didn't mean anything to her. Um, and one thing I found that when men get into sin, like Ahab, they become very weak. They can't lead. They're, 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 they're slimy and they're sorry. But when women get in sin, they become very aggressive and very, um, they want to lead. They want to run the show. And a woman who's in charge is a wicked woman. A woman who wants to lead is a wicked woman biblically. And a man who won't lead is a man who's wicked biblically as well. And then also you see there that uh, in the in the New Testament there, Revelation chapter two, you see that this this woman Jezebel seducing God's people to commit fornication, eat things sacrificed to idols. Um, so she has a she wants a position of leadership. She wants to stand before the church and teach, which I think is what's driving all these women preachers to preach. And I'll say that, but Priscilla Shire. Beth Moore, Christine Kane. Uh, I mean, I would even say that about uh, uh, Joyce Meyer. All these women biblically are Jezebels, and they they they're not being led by their husbands, which is God's design. Patriarchy, we can call it that, or we can just call it you know biblical design for the home. And these women are out of order, 
and they're causing destruction in the lives of people. Every time a woman steps into a pulpit to preach, she becomes a false teacher. I don't care if she's got a degree from, uh, from some gun barrel straight uh, theological seminary. As soon as she steps into a pulpit to preach to a mixed congregation, a usurping Thoreau over a man, she becomes a false teacher. And uh, I would, I mean, I, I say that about all of them. Priscilla Shire, Joyce Meyer, uh, uh, what's her name? Victoria Osteen. She preaches at that church, Joel mm. Osteen's wife. She's a heretic. She says things like, uh, you know, Jesus Christ was not God until he become, until the spirit of God came upon him at his baptism. Mm. That's straight up heresy is what that is. Yeah. And so, but women are leading in the local church because men won't. And that, that's the problem. Women are just reacting to the vacuum of leadership today. And so unless men step up and lead the church, then this will never be fixed. I agree. That's the whole spirit behind what I'm doing with the Renaissance of Men is mm-hmm. encouraging and cultivating men to step forward into leadership. Um, now, as you, as you go and you share this online, uh, are, are, you, are you a pastor still? I think I remember, or, or did I, am I making that up that you're a pastor at your own church? No, no, I'm not. I'm not the pastor. I'm, I serve as like an evangelist, and I'm okay. I'm head of the mission organization here, and that's kind of what I do. I travel and preach out. Got it. Okay, I think I conclude. I just put that together with pastor, but didn't didn't see the distinction. So as you as you spread this message, it, it's one thing to encourage men to step forward. I think men have a natural call to leadership, in the many of them do any anyway, and, and certainly the ones who don't personally feel a call to leadership at least feel a call to follow a righteous leader. Like, I think that's mm-hmm. part of who we are as men. Now, when you share this with women, what is what are their responses? I, I, I have my own answers from my own experiences, but I'm curious in your experience, what you encounter. Well, like Monday night, we did a live stream on our channel where we talked about uh, men need to step up and lead. I got, I got a little bit of negative feedback from that from, from women, but overall, I mean, godly women want godly men to lead. They, they absolutely do. So I get very positive feedback. And I think, I think men today, you know, we, we, we have this matriarchal society and I like what you talked about that, you know, a society of where we're ta- being taught fairness. Um, men don't understand you, you can lead, you can be a leader. Now that, uh, I think lots of times we equate that with being some overbearing jerk and that's not what leadership is. And, uh, you know, I think every man is called to at least lead his home. He may not be called to lead a business or be called to lead a church, but he definitely is called to lead his home. And if if a man can't lead his home, what in the world is he doing? As a matter of fact, that's one of the qualifications of a bishop, one that ruleth well his own house. And if you can't, you know, I know guys out there that want to take on take on the world behind the pulpit. They want to go, you know, stand against the, the, the Joe Bidens and all this other stuff, but they can't even stand up against their own three-year-old in the house. Mm. I mean, you're not a man. You can, you can't tell that, that toddler to sit down, but you want to take on Joe Biden. I mean, come on, give me a break, dude, lead your house, lead your home and uh, lead your wife. And that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean, you know, Hey woman, get in the kitchen, make me a sandwich. That's not what that means at all. It just means that you make the decisions and, and you, you know, you provide, you protect and you lead. And I don't, I don't think a, a good woman has any problem with that. I think, I think the opposite is true. I think women crave that. They love that. They're, they're attracted to that. That that's what they, they want that in a pastor. They want that in, in a husband. Um, and, and I, I mean, really you ask me what my response has been. My response has been overwhelmingly positive in, in when I say that stuff. Yeah. Same, same. I mean, there are a few that are in rebellion, you know, that, that, that get a whiff of anything, even, you know, uh, 
that smells like masculine, say independence, spiritual yeah. independence, and, and they react very strongly. But in general, I found that it's very positive, um, especially the women that are attracted to my work. Like they're looking for something, they're looking for something better, but they don't want to go back to quote the, the 1950s, right? That scare phrase. Like we would go back yeah. to the 1950s. Like, no, 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 it's like, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. Back in the 1950s when, when uh, you could live off a single family income and you could pay for your own house and cash and you could buy a car and cash and women stayed home, took care of the babies. That, that was a dreadful time. That was Terrible. a dreadful time. Uh, I'll tell you this, um, the negative feedback that I do get from women about that type of stuff. Like for example, today I was on my phone on Instagram and, uh, Somebody sent me something from another, um, from another, you know, Instagram account, whatever. And I, I was looking through the comments and, uh, someone in the, just, just happened to catch my eye. Someone said something negative about me. And it was, it was, I mean, it was very unkind what this person had said. And, uh, and so I said, well, who is this? Cause I, I guess I'm getting to that level now where people are taking shots at me now. Who mm. I don't even know who they are. Um, and I said, well, who is this? And I went and looked at a page and it was a woman and honestly, what she was wearing was shameful. Mm. And usually the women that come against the message of, of what I say about men should lead, uh, they got, I mean, they got nose rings. They're, they're, they're wearing so little clothing. It's shameful. And um, I mean, I, I, I just say, well, maybe, maybe this message isn't for you, but then maybe morality isn't for you and maybe godly living isn't for you either. And then maybe Bible truth isn't for you either. So maybe you need to go find somebody else. Like, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe you should go listen to Stephen Furtick. He probably could help you better than I could. Yeah. So that's what I tell those folks. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I encounter the, I encounter this also. And it's, it's strange that, that, you know, we started out the conversation talking about how uh, normalcy bias and people have a tar- hard time imagining that people are different from them. But they, I find that they also have a hard time understanding like, this is actually a spiritual war. Like Jesus, Jesus talked about this, right? This isn't. This shouldn't. This shouldn't be a surprise that people react negatively to God's created order and the profession of it. Sure, sure. And I, I think we're all born with that in us. I mean, you know, we, we come default from the factory on chaos mode. You know, we all, we all are, I mean, I've got four kids and uh, my youngest one is now six and uh, you know, they were born sinners. They were born in, 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 I call it chaos mode. That's how they came from the factory. And you gotta, you gotta fix that thing and you gotta, you gotta tune the settings to more your liking along the way. And I I guess we're all born that way. Um, But you know, when I got saved, I was 18 years old, bro. I was, I was on the road to hell. I was lit. I mean, everything I was doing was anti-God. And, and then I got saved. And as I started to grow and read the Bible, I learned more and more, like, you know, I would open up the Bible and read something out of the book of Proverbs and think, man, I've been doing that every day of my life. I guess I got to quit that. And, And it was a constant, it was a constant correction of my lifestyle and of my attitude and, uh, of the things that the habits that I had picked up. And, um, but the, the, the difference was, is that I wanted to live God's way. I had a heart for it. I had an appetite for it now. And when you're giving people this information and they have no heart for godly living or trying to honor Christ with your life, I mean, it's, 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 it's anathema to them. They, they just, they react to it and they, they, they call me all kinds of, you know, you're a legalist, you're a Pharisee or whatever. And, and I'm not, I'm just giving a message to people that you have no heart for that message. So it's really not, it's really not about me. It's about your heart condition. So 
you know, I think of the parable of the sower that they sowed on good ground, some on stony ground, some on really, really rough, rocky ground and, and the soil, you know, the seed didn't take in everybody. And I, I, I guess, um, you know, someone asked me, said, what do you do to try to get people to your side? I said, well, it's not really my side, it's the Lord's side. Um, and my job is not to get people to my side. My, pe- my job is just to give the message and not to make it acceptable. I think a lot of preachers get in trouble trying to, trying to make Jesus more palatable to the world. I think that's folly. Um, I think that's, that's a fool's errand. I think our job is just to make the message of Christ available, not acceptable, but make it available and let the chips fall where they may and trust God to touch hearts. And that, that's really all I can do. That's all I can do. And um, they may pick me apart and try to find fault in my character and you know, and, and they do a lot of that. And trust me, there's plenty of material to work with. I'm not a perfect guy. I've got blind spots and I've got things I got to work on. And I know that, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not a perfect guy, but, um, but the message of the gospel is still what you're going to have to face and what you're going to have to answer to. And that, that's all I'm trying to do. Just trying to, I'm not trying to make it acceptable. I'm just trying to make it available. That's it. Um, do you mind if I ask you a little bit about your testimony? I was surprised to hear that you had gotten saved at 18, and that was I was kind of curious when I read that. I think you posted a picture of the church that you got saved at. Is that what that was on Instagram? That's what it was, yeah. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Obviously, you don't have to, but uh, just from yeah. my own curiosity, I suppose. Well, uh, I'll, I'll make it uh, quick, but I, um, I grew up in Metro Atlanta, and my whole life was of high school football. That's where I, that's the scene mm. that I lived on, you know, and um, and I was actually part of a pretty good football team. We played in the Georgia Dome every year where the Falcons played, and wow. um, I wasn't that good, but I, I was around a lot of guys who were good. I think we were my senior year, we we're like ninth in the state of Georgia or something like that. But uh, but we had a good time, and um, and I remember one time uh, I went to I went to high school. Half a day at this place and half a day at another place. So I basically was going to like two high schools at the time and uh, had a bus driver that would drive us every day from one to the other. And I remember one day I was sitting next to the star running back of a football team named David Irons and him and I were sitting together, we're talking and we had a substitute bus driver that day. And uh, she looked at David Irons and said, hey, you're that boy that's been running all those touchdowns up and down the field, aren't you? And he goes, "Uh, yes, man, that's me. And she says, uh, she says something to the effect of, you know, that's great that you're doing that, but if you don't trust Jesus Christ, your savior, you're going to die and go to hell, son. And just, just kept driving. And, and he, he laughed, but I wasn't laughing. Wow. And, and when she said that something happened in my heart, it was like, it was like an arrow had pierced my soul and uh, old time preachers call it Holy ghost conviction. It happened to me. I, I was troubled. I was troubled about dying and going to hell. But I didn't know what to do. I, I mean, I sit there like the Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, I'm, I was, had no man to guide me. I mean, and nothing. And uh, I was troubled about that. I went to the grocery store and I bought a, I bought something off the shelf called a Bible Promise book, and and it was all about you know what does the Bible say about anxiety and what does it say about you know bitterness and whatever. There was a chapter in there on salvation, and I think there was only like five or six verses in there on that. And I was I just I read them over and over again, tried to tried to get some peace, tried to you know get some sort of understanding, and um, and I, I had none. And then um, it was a couple months later, November 2001, someone invited me to go to a church in Georgia, Peachtree Road Baptist in Swanee. And, uh, and when I was there, played a game of flag football after the game was over. Um, I was getting ready in my car to leave. The song leader of the church and the youth pastor of the church came over to me and said, hey, Spencer, we want to invite you to church on Sunday. And I said, well, I, I don't go to church, man. That's not for me. And then they said, well, that's fine. Um, but let me ask you a question. If you died today, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? 
And whatever it was that hit me when that woman said that to him, it, it started again in my heart. It's like, it was like I was troubled again. And I said, no, I said, tell me about that. And I asked him to help me. You know, I've been waiting for this. And uh, they gave me the gospel, John 3, 7, marvel not. I said, thee, you must be born again. They gave me Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that night, I, 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 that night, the Lord really did a work in my life and saved me. I, I know, I know I'm going to heaven. And it's not because of what I did. It's because of what Christ did. Um, I was, I have never been the same since that day. I was, uh, I mean, I was driving up down the road, listening to wicked music and I, I had the, the worldly vices like most people do. And, uh, you know, just, just, just living a life of, of, you know, as a teenager out there in Metro Atlanta, but all that changed, all that changed that night. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. That happened to me. I, I, it scared my family. It scared all of them. They thought, they thought that I had a mental breakdown or something because all of, I was, I was running around doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And now I'm sitting in church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night with my Bible, you know, and they were really troubled. Uh, but really they didn't understand, but the, for the very first time in my life, I was actually right where I should be. And, uh, so thank God for that. And I give all the glory to the Lord. And then, uh, the, it was that was November that next April I felt like the Lord was leading me into ministry and I went to Bible college after that and uh, met my wife there and we've been uh, we've been trying to travel and preach ever since and so now here I am on the cusp of uh, in less than thirty days I'll be forty years old and uh, that that happened when I was eighteen so I praise the Lord for His goodness in my life and thank God for the gospel and 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 how it can save people and change people's lives and certainly change me and I'm. I'm going to stick with that message for the rest of my days, buddy. It's a, praise God for that. It's a good message. So, so say more about your travel. You said that you had been in Nairobi. That's a, that's a long way to go. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we'd gone farther than that. We'd, uh, uh, we went all the way into Uganda and to the mountains. Um, and basically what I was doing is I was working with a small mission organization, of course, with national pastors there and trying to plant churches where, you know, basically nobody had been before and trying to just break some new ground. Uh, we saw a lot of people saved. We 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 saw people respond to the gospel uh, in in a really a powerful way that like I've never seen before. Uh, you know, you you give the gospel to a Westerners and Americans and first world people, man, they they could care less. Uh, but you go out there to where people have nothing. The you know, if, if you own a donkey, you're rich. You know, um, and you give the gospel to them, then it absolutely that they, they they crave it, they hunger for it, they want a Bible, they want to read their Bible. And, uh, so we, we saw a lot of good fruit there, but now, now we work out of our, out of our own church and we're just kind of like an independent missionary now and, uh, trying to do the same thing. We're working in, of course, in, in Dominican Republic and Kenya right now, um, looking for the Lord's leading on several new projects. We got, uh, we got a guy right now who says that, uh, he's a national Haitian guy. And, uh, he says the Lord has called him to go start a church in Putacana, uh, Dominican Republic, which is one of the number one vacation spots in the world. And I said, I believe that's God's will. I want to come help you. And, uh, you know, <laughs> so we, we're, Absolutely. We're, hey, I believe that might be the Lord's leading there. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, could it not be? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't see an objection at all to that, no. but, uh, <laughs> but we're going to see what happens there. And, um, but we, we've got a lot of, I've got more ministry than I know what to do with right now, as far as missions. Uh, we've got one guy in our church who's going to spend the whole month of March, and he's he's there now in the Dominican Republic, kind of uh, doing some groundwork for us over there with uh, seeing 
kind of doing an audit of the ministry, seeing what's up over there with, with a lot of guys and visiting churches and stuff. But missions is wonderful. It is exciting. It is thrilling. Um, I, I can't see myself doing anything else. I, I have the time of my life doing this work. And uh, it's just great. Uh, it says, I think in the end of the book of Mark, it says that they went forward, the Lord working with them. And, uh, and I, that's how I feel. I feel like as, as we've gone, God's gone and uh, gone with us and he's worked and, and gone, prepared the way for us. And we're just walking in his will and seeing God do great things, seeing the Lord save people, seeing churches being raised up, uh, that the Lord's doing. And, uh, I, I just feel like I'm along for the ride and, and, uh, just, I'm, I'm like a third party spectator watching God work. And it's so much fun. I, I can't, I could never see myself doing anything else in my life. This is great. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, depending on when you're listening to this, the clock is ticking down for the first edition of the Renaissance of Men digital conference series coming up on Saturday, March 25th. I've had the chance to talk with some of the speakers, and they're all incredibly excited about their presentations. We have Will Nolan talking about resilience, using a story from Sir Thomas More, who in 1534 wrote the book Dialogue of Comfort Against Tribulation which was written while he was awaiting execution in the Tower of London. Lawson Speaks, who was the guest on my podcast last week for an episode that's receiving amazing feedback, will be talking about determination, putting a spin on the word that even I didn't think of. King David, the world's only quit porn strategist, is going to be going hard against the pornography industry, and he's excellent at that. Mike Pantile is excited for his talk that's going to be super Christian and based, which sounds like a pretty good combination to me. And I just saw the cover art for Ryan King's post about heroes and villains, which will be coming out on his Instagram, probably around the time you hear this episode. And from the looks of that cover art, his talk is also going to be incredible. Naturally, I don't want to leave out Nate Spearing, who's going to be sharing stories from his time in the U.S. Army Ranger Battalion and the things that he had to deal with that took more courage than jumping out of an airplane at 12,000 feet with 500 pounds strapped to his body. This is going to be a very special day. One of the things that I'm particularly excited about is that I've had the chance to meet all these men, but they haven't yet had the chance to meet each other. And if you watched my Instagram live with Nate Spearing and Mike Pantile, one of my favorite things about that live was getting to see those two men talk for the first time. So we'll be having plenty of that coming up this weekend. In fact, the morning starts with an introductory panel for all the men to talk face-to-face for the first time. And then in the evening, we'll be hosting an evening question and answer panel so that you can bring your questions to these men. One thing I also want to point out is that Will Noland is one of the most experienced teachers in his field. He taught at the prestigious UK boarding school, Eton, which is where Prince Harry and so many other UK celebrities went. So during his talk, he'll be taking questions and answers. So this will be your opportunity to learn from a high-profile UK boarding school teacher. And I think that's an unmissable opportunity. But all of these men are experts in their field, devoted fathers, loving husbands, and successful entrepreneurs. This is the future of the men's movement, which is why this is the Digital Conference series. This is the first of an ongoing series of events. In fact, I already have the speakers booked for the second event coming up in May, and you will not want to miss that. Now's your chance to get in on the ground floor. And this is a special deal for all my most valued listeners of this podcast. If you buy a ticket to this weekend's Renaissance of Men digital conference series, 
the first edition, and use the code PODCAST, everyone who uses that code will get a coupon for $10 off the second edition. Because of the phenomenal growth of this podcast this year and all the opportunities that it's creating for me, this is my way of saying thank you. So if you're hearing this announcement and you buy a ticket to the Renaissance of Men digital conference series on Saturday, March 25th, and use the code PODCAST, you'll get an exclusive discount code for $10 off the next event. No sneak previews about who is going to be there, but again, you're definitely going to hear about it. So thank you to all of my listeners for your incredible support over these past two and a half years. Some amazing things are up ahead, not just for the podcast and the conference series, but so much more. Again, use the code PODCAST to take $5 off this coming weekend, and everyone who uses that code and has already used it will get $10 off the next event. This offer won't be available anywhere else. So go to rentofmen.com slash conference and buy your ticket now. Thanks so much. And I hope to see you on Saturday, March 25th for the first edition of the conference. I, I like what you said about Westerners, they look at the gospel and they're like, eh, they, they kind of take it for granted. But as you bring it to people overseas, really liberating them from a lot of local, traditional, like not, not traditional, tribal, you know, paganism, it is truly a force for liberation. And it's amazing how much we, we all take it for granted. What sort, of, what sort of things do you see? Like, what is it, what is it that, that draws people from these cultures to the gospel? Like, is, is, there, is there one thing that they're like, yes, that's what I've been looking for? Or um, what sort of experiences have you had with that? Because it's hard for us to imagine that from a Western perspective. I've, done, I've traveled to more than 30 countries around the world, but it was before I was Christian. So that's a, I mean, imagine that traveling that way would be a very different a very different process, especially when you're trying to bring the gospel to these areas. Sure, sure. Well, the gospel gives people hope, and I think that's what people want. Um, you know, people, when you go out in those, in those bush countries, out, way out in the country in Kenya, they may live in a town of, you know, a thousand people, and there's a local cult who runs the whole town, the, you know, and uh, we were in one place way, I mean, it was way out there, almost, you know, 100 miles from Lake Victoria, and um, and there was some weird cult that wore red hats. As it, they weren't they weren't MAGA people, but they just some weird cult that wore these red cult. hats. Yeah, it was a different one. Um, but they they wore these red hats, and you so you see these African dudes walking around with red hats on. Um, and and I'm like, what is, what have I walked? It looked like I walked onto the set of like a Dr. Seuss movie or something. It was weird. And uh, and that's all there was out there was was the there was this cult there was a small mosque and we were starting the first Baptist church in that area, and um and you know we preached the gospel and said there's 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 a life after death there's a place called heaven you can go there uh, if you you know if you receive Christ and uh and and there's you know you're you're in sin you're lost without Christ and you need the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to your account and just going through the gospel with people and. And 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 you didn't have to convince them that they they needed that. You didn't have to sell it per se. Um, you know, with Americans, you kind of have to you kind of have to tell them, okay, if you don't receive Christ, you're going to go to hell. Do you want that? You know, you, you didn't have to do that with these people. They were just like, oh yeah, that we've been looking for something like that forever. Man, that's awesome. I can and and you can just show them that that's that's clearly what the Bible says. And they're like, oh, I I, I had no idea. And it's like it's like, I guess the maybe it's not theologically correct to say this, but like, it's like you see the light come on, you know, and, and they understand it's like, it clicks in their mind. Like, Oh yeah, I want that. And, uh, 
And that that's the joy of missions, really. And um, and that I think that's part of the draw. Now, of course, um, you know, there's other other videos out there. Like I think the American Gospel talked about how the they give the prosperity message to these people, where they give them like a you know, if you come do what we're doing, you can be rich too. And and that's that's a perverted, warped, damnable thing. That's that's not. We don't preach anything close to that. We preach that there's forgiveness of sin. There's, there's righteousness to be had. You can receive Christ. You can know Christ. And that just sounds so simple, but that's enough for them. That really is. That's really all they're looking for. And, and you give them that, uh, then they'll take it. And, and it's, it, just, it just sounds so weird to even say that out loud, being a Western guy myself. But that's really, that's, all the, that's what the gospel is. You give, you give people the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that there is hope and you can have that hope. And that just blows their mind. And I love it. I love doing that. And that's all I, that's really all I want to do with my life. And I imagine being around all those pagan and occultic traditions, not Western occultic traditions, but some of these, some of these, you know, uh, indigenous religions around the world are occultic in their own way. I mean, that must've fed directly into your third Adam work because you're seeing like, wait a minute, why am I seeing this inside the, inside these Christian churches? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and really, you know, as I, I went back through and, and of course I, I try to read the Bible through uh, all the time, but you see that, you know, God wants a holy people. He wants, he wants his people to be pure and his doctrine to be pure. And he wants people to worship only him. Well, there's always the mystery Babylon religion trying to sneak in and synthesize with that. And I think that like 90% of evangelicalism today is infected with this merger of paganism with Christianity. And that's why there's a lot of guys out there that I think they mean well, but I just can't back them. I can't back them because, I mean, you're literally trying to be a rock star for Jesus. You're trying to be a rap star for Jesus. And that it's, it's, it's foolish. Why don't don't you just go be a porn star for Jesus? If that's what you're going to be. I mean, honestly, I, I just don't get it. So, um, are you hearing a clicking? I'm hearing a clicking. Never mind. Anyway, sorry about that. But uh, it's it's foolishness. It's just it's not. I mean, you can't merge mystery Babylon with with Christ. It doesn't work. It doesn't fit. And uh, and I I I mean, some guys mean well, but I just can't I can't do that. But we get, we got to keep the doctrine pure. That's why Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, he talked about the doctrine, the faith. You know, all that. He spoke about that singularly. But then First Timothy four, he talks about people shall uh, leave the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. There's more than one, and doctrines more than one of devils, more than one, and it's all plural. And so you got you got you know all these shades of mystery religion trying to infect the true body of Christ, and we've got to do the best we can to separate from false teachers, false teaching, and the world, the flesh, and the devil. We got to keep all that out, and uh, and if we can do that, I think I think the Lord's pleased with that. But I I think that's that's been my message as and I call myself a fundamentalist because I I want to separate from false teachers and false teachings. And uh, and try to be as distant from that as I possibly can because I want my doctrine to be pure. That's what I want. Nothing. I, th- I think that would do the church a lot of good if we if we put that back into practice and and made that acceptable again. I think that'd be a, very helpful. Mm-hmm. In my New Age presentation that I mentioned, I talked about the difference between syncretism, which is the merging of a bunch of things together. Actually, the in in sociological terms, the opposite of syncretism is fundamentalism. Those two, are, those two are, fun, are opposite. So if you find yourself into a situation, not you, you, but anyone listening, finds themselves in a situation 
where different faiths and traditions are kind of being blended together. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. That's syncretism. And the opposite yeah. from that is, is fundamentalism, which, which yeah. I guess the International Journal of Sociology says it's actually more logically consistent than syncretism is. Sure, sure. And, uh, and, and that's, that's funny they use that word. That's great. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think we need to keep the doctrine pure. Martin Luther said this. He said, who are we to change the doctrine? Because it's not ours to change anyways, God's doctrine. And I, I found that to be very insightful and very powerful. Who who am I to ch- to change what the Bible says? Who am I? I'm I'm I think that's blasphemy. Who do you think you are, Stephen Furtick, saying that the Bible says this when it don't say nothing even close to what you saying it says? Mm-hmm. You are a blasphemer and a liar, especially Joel Osteen. Out, you're out of your mind. I mean, the Bible. He I, I we did one video one time where he uh, it was a commercial for one of our books, and he says. Uh, something along the lines of perhaps you could say that Judas Iscariot did more for Jesus Christ than any of the other disciples. And I'm thinking, are you crazy? That's insane. It's totally nuts. But but yeah. people, I mean, I'm thinking, how do you sleep at night? You you got to be a dark hearted, reprobate mind crazy man to say that kind of stuff. But people people go for it, and it's sad to really watch it. I, I hate it. You mentioned. Uh- Mystery Babylon. Let's unpack yeah. what Mystery Babylon is for people because I think they've probably heard the term, but um, but they don't know what, precisely what it is. Sure, sure. Um, I think uh, basically there's two religions in the world. Okay, there's Bible believing Christianity, and then there's Mystery Babylon. And in Third Adam two, we explain to folks what Mystery Babylon is. I think it is the false religion that started in the Garden of Eden with Lucifer. It is, it is a promise of enlightenment. Your eyes should be open and the promise of betterment. So you have enlightenment and betterment. You shall be as gods knowing good and evil. And that religion is the total antithesis of Bible-believing Christianities. You see, uh, Mr. Babylon exalts man, makes man great, whereas Bible-believing Christianity puts down man. And even John the Baptist says, he must increase, I must decrease. Well, people don't want to be decreased. They want to be great. They want promises of power and grandeur. They want to be rich. They want to be famous. They want to be loved. They want to be accepted. Whereas, you know, walking with Christ puts puts me down. Less of me, more of Jesus. And uh, you see this this religion kind of interwoven throughout the Bible. I see it uh, in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. I see it in Genesis chapter 11. At uh, at the Tower of Babel, personally, I th- and this is my opinion, but I think Nimrod led the Tower of Babel to be started. I think what he was trying to do is he was trying to usurp the authority of God uh, by building the tower to reach to heaven. And I don't think that that was actually a skyscraper like what's being taught today, not in, a, in that tower sense. I believe that uh, the Tower of Babel was a pyramid, much like the Egyptian pyramids of Giza. And so you find that the Lord confounded the languages. Well, right after that, people go all over the world and they start doing recreating the same thing. So that's why you have that's why you have pyramids in Egypt. That's why you have pyramids in Mexico and in China. You have pyramids in the Yucatan Peninsula with the Mayan culture. Uh, you have, I mean, there's there's pyramids up here in Collinsville, Illinois, that the ancient Indians of of United States of America built. Inexplicable. I mean, inexplicable. And uh, and so I think the Tower of Babel was a pyramid, and that's a, a, a form of mystery religion. Uh, you see it throughout, of course, in, in when the Babylonians, you know, invaded Israel. The Babylonian captivity, I believe, is Jeremiah that went through that. Uh, you see all kinds of influence of mystery Babylon religion. You see the you see it through the Baal worship. You see it through the Ashtoreth, Ashtoreth worship in the Old Testament. Uh, matter of fact, the groves that 
the kings of Israel, some of them chopped down, some of them let them exist. That was a form of mystery Babylon religion. It was basically like a like a just a lewd, crude cult is what it was. Uh, and then also you see uh, in the New Testament, you see, um, I'm I'll throw this out there, in uh, Hosea, you see the spirit of whoredoms which is what the nation of Israel was infested with. And they were practicing mystery religion, getting away from God. And then it, it, it basically goes all throughout the New Testament with different names, different, different phases. Uh, the church of Corinth was dealing with it. That's why, that's why Paul had, they had morality problems. And he says, what, you know, how, what righteousness have, uh, you know, how can we commune with righteousness and unrighteousness and, and that kind of stuff. The couple of devils is mentioned in there as well. Um, and then also the the full fruition of this mystery Babylon religion is Revelation 17 with the whore of Babylon. The great whore upon her forehead is written mystery Babylon the great. And um, and that's that's gonna be your one world religion coming together with uh with you know the names of blasphemy written all over us. So it's like you know, Catholicism, Hinduism, Buddhism's all over her, and uh, that's what that's gonna be. So basically to sum it all up, mystery Babylon is everything that is outside the realm of Bible-believing Christianity. And it takes many different names. It takes many different forms. It's Catholicism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Scientology. Uh, I, I would even throw your Orthodox, you know, your Eastern Orthodox religions into there. Uh, all your African tribal religions, humanisms. Uh, you know, there's, I would, I mean, I think even the transgender movement of today falls under the the, the thing of that, the, the umbrella of mystery religion, because what it is, you're destroying the image of God by making male and female, which the, actually what that is, that's, that's uh, Shiva Shakti uh, type situation. We're coming straight out of Hinduism, and they believe that uh, they believe that it's all that God created an androgynous being at the beginning, and that God divided and made Adam and Eve instead of instead of them being together as one. They were now divided into two different beings, and so the goal of all these religions is to merge all that back together. Everything that God done. That's why they believe in unity so much. Am I going too fast? Nope, um, I'm right with so, you. Um, so they want to merge all that back together, and that's why when men get into the occult, New Age, they become very feminine, and when women get into it, they become very masculine because it's a merging of that duality together. And so you see this religion all throughout the Bible. And just to wrap it all up, everything that's not Bible-believing Christianity, everything, okay, everything is Mystery Babylon. It's all, it's all, again, it's all syncretic. It all gets mashed together and you got everything from ayahuasca to tarot cards to yoga and Hinduism, yep. Buddhism, Sufism, Tai Chi. It's all part of one big religion. And from having spent a long time in that world, the one boundary that you're not allowed to cross from within that world is Bible believing Christianity period. That is sure, the one, sure. that is the one thing that is outside of it. Well, and the syncretism for evangelicals that they go for is called ecumenicism. Mm. And ecumenicism is a form of syncretism. It is the little brother of universalism. And I mean, you know, there, there's this, there's this picture going around today where you got Stephen Furtick, you got Brian Houston of Bethel church, and you got Joel Osteen all sitting there eating lunch together, calling each other legends I mean, I've got the picture right here on my phone. I don't know if my camera can show that, but I mean, those there's those three I guys right them. there. Yeah. Um, wow. And so let's see if I can, whatever. But I mean, th that's that's what this is. This is the this is syncretism. Okay. This is this is this this unity that everybody's going for today is satanic. 
because, you know, all three of these guys teach heresy and they're united in their heresy together. And a lot of people are just saying that, you know, we ought to love and not divide and just unite together as one. I have, I just don't find that to be in the Bible. I'm going to unite with truth. I'm going to unite around doctrine that, that I'm going to, I'm going to stand under the banner of truth and you want to find me, you'll find me there. And that's the only unity I can offer anybody. If you want to hang with me, I'm going to hang under this banner of truth and banner of Bible doctrine. And, you know, if you're there, we'll, we'll just hang out. But if you're not there, then I, I'm sorry. I'm just going to go with this. You know, <laughs> That's a good way to go, you know, a good way to put it. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting that you say that, that uh, the only line you couldn't cross is don't go into Bible-believing Christianity. That's, that's very telling to me. Mm-hmm. It was very telling to me when I realized it as well, that anything else yeah. is fair game. and and um, and the, the one thing you just can't do, the one thing you just can't do is, is and that, that is explicitly on the outside. Like they will talk about things like Christ consciousness, which removes, you know, God's divinity, Christ's divinity, or it's sort of a thing that gets shared, you know, which of course you can, you can dispel that by simply reading the Bible and what, you know, Christ said about himself, right? It's not like I, I'm inhabiting the spirit of something, right? So they try to fit Jesus into that, but it, it doesn't actually work. And so when you actually say like, well, where, where does this, I've got the book right here. Where does it say that in the book? That's the part, part where people get really squirrely about it. And, and you find, mm-hmm. as I found, as there's a, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but there's a very large new age to Christ movement that's happening right now. It's causing I've me. I've seen that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. What, what do you think of that? I, I, well, my latest realization is that I think that, um, and this is actually triggered by watching Third Adam 3X, is that there's so much apostasy within the Christian church of people not necessarily knowing the doctrine that they were given, that there's so much corruption rising up within so many uh, churches in America, that God planted sleeper cells of the elect in the New Age world to wake up at the right time to be able to come into the church and begin pointing out like, no, that's not, all of that is bad. Like the Enneagram is a great example. Right, without new age people to come, formerly new age people to come into the church and be able to explain what something like the Enneagram is, and to be able to look at the things that you document in the Third Adam series, like especially 3X, and say, yeah, all that stuff, we were all doing that in the new age. This has nothing to do with Christianity. I think that's what's, I think that's what's causing it is God, uh, Christ calling some of his, his people home um, to begin cleaning out the house, let's say. That's my theory. Yeah, I, I can see that. That sounds like a good theory to me. Um, yeah, I, I just, man, I, I, the new age is very prominent and a lot of people don't realize how prominent it is until you understand what it is. Um, you know, I, I was in Mississippi preaching at a church and they did a Q and a session on Sunday night and let me kind of just have it. And it was very exciting. Um, just put it that way. Bet. Um, but a lot of people are given, a, a lot of people ask me the question that on their workplace, like in their careers, they're being given all these personality tests and uh, the Higgs boson and then Enneagram stuff. And they're, they're doing this in a secular workplace. And, and one lady told me, she said, I just don't feel good about it. I said, well, praise the Lord. That's probably the Holy Spirit inside of you telling you that this ain't a good thing because all of that is born out of the occult. Um, matter of fact, I've got, I've got my third Adam research right here for third Adam four. Um, Gerda Judge, the man who basically, um, you know, invented the Enneagram. He got it from the Sufi mystics and that stuff. Um, he he had several disciples that he taught that to. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was named Richard Rohr. Okay, Richard Rohr is you know uh, Richard Rohr Winfrey's. Yeah, he yeah Richard Rohr learned it. Uh, from, picked up the Enneagram. He, from he, I, don't think he, I don't know if he learned it directly from him, but okay. but 
that's that's the lineage of it. Okay, Richard uh, Rohr picked it up, and Richard Rohr taught it to evangelicalism, and evangelicalism has run with it. Okay, so Richard Rohr, of course, is a Catholic mystic, and he, but he's the guy that, I mean, like Richard Rohr was on Dave Ramsey. Yeah. Okay, so and and Rachel Cruz, Dave Ramsey's daughter, is like all about Richard Rohr and the Enneagram. Um, and but the thing is, is that Gurdjieff actually taught the Enneagram and Sufi mysticism to many of the high up leaders in the Nazi party. Mm. I'll say, so you got the order of the black sun being practiced as a secret society within the Nazi party. They're practicing the same principles that Gurdjieff taught. So to, to, to put it mildly, maybe to, to a second or third degree separation twice removed or whatever, evangelicalism is to some degree practicing the same things that the people who run in the Holocaust practiced, the same occultism, just repackaged. It's all Mystery Babylon, but it's all given a different name along the way. So it's not, it really is not a stretch to say that these women that are practicing Enneagram are practicing the same witchcraft, same occultism that, you know, Rommel and all these other guys did in Nazi Germany. It's not a, it's not that big a stretch to say that because it ultimately is the same thing. Yes. I mean, any serious investigation of the Nazi party shows that they were all black magicians and occultists. Like that's what it, sure that's what it was. In fact, the, the Nazi symbol is a Buddhist symbol. I think you might've pointed that out in, in third Adam. Like it was actually a Buddhist symbol that they appropriated, right? With yeah. a- Aryan mythology and area, a- the Aryans were from India. Like that's what, that's what that was. I think what they did, they just flipped it over. Yeah. I think that's all they did with it. I'm tempted to pull this out because I've just got so much. I mean, I've, I've got a mess of papers here about, uh, and you probably know what this is right here, don't you? you you've seen that before, haven't you? I haven't. What is that's that? A symbol for that's quintessence. And, is that uh, oh, okay? I know. Yeah, I know. Okay, I know the quintessence. Yeah. I've never seen a symbol for it before. Yeah, that, there's an actual symbol for it. You, of course, you know what this is, don't you? Yeah, and, the uh, rebus. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. The, that's that bad boy. And uh, but. Uh, I'm, I, I don't have the actual stuff that I want here, but I've, I've got a lot of notes about uh, uh, the progression of the Nazi party and how they got into all that mysticism and how all that, you know, kind of moved into the society at the time. Um, and the funny thing is, is that they were, they were occultists, but they kicked Blavatsky out of Germany mm-hmm. um, and they all had to flee for their lives and kind of, you know, they were totalitarian occultists in a sense that they were, you know, it was only our brand of occultism that's <laughs> acceptable, which was actually unusual, right. uh, but that's how they were. Had the notes exactly I'm thinking of in front of me, but yeah, third Adam four. We're going to dive into all that stuff. It, it's going to be nuts, and uh, I, I, I have I have connected the dots all the way from the Knights Templar all the way to the modern CIA. Oh wow, um, it, it's crazy. <laughs> it's nuts. Um, you know, like uh, what's the old Assassin's Creed video game? Yeah. Uh, basically, there's a bunch of. Uh, that's all set in the crusade times. And the funny thing was is that uh, from the history that I'm reading, the, the Knights Templar came down to Jerusalem, started fighting these Sufi mystics. And after a couple centuries of that, they finally sat down and said, you know, I think we might believe the same thing. <laughs> and so it kind of slowed that down a little bit. And then also after a while, um, you know, the Templar started sitting down with, with, the, with the Islamic mystics and started learning from them. And learned a lot of their practices. As a matter of fact, they started coming back. Uh, I've got this right here. Uh, the Templar started coming back from the Middle East with these bad boys right here. This is mm-hmm. called the Black Madonna. Mm-hmm. And uh, and a lot of people hold the Black Madonna up as a uh, symbol of like social justice because you see Mary and the Christ child and, and they're both 
dark skinned. Well, this this has nothing to do with them being like black people. This has esoteric meanings to it. Uh, they're filled with the ether energy, and that's that's basically like the, the Christian equivalent of being filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the black magic, and that's why their skin is black. And uh, the, and and the, the the Templars are fascinating to me. That's just some wild stuff. We're gonna get into all that in Third Adam Four. A lot of people think that the Templars disappeared after they were uh, after the uh, a king of I forget his name. I want to say Ferdinand, but I know that's not right. Of France had them all executed on Friday Friday the thirteenth. But really, the what mole. they did, they went to Portugal. Yeah, the, the Molay. Uh, they, they, a lot of them went to Portugal, changed their name from the Knights Templar to the Order of Christ. And uh, Portugal, part of the reason Portugal is called Portugal is because it's the port of the Grail, the Port de Graal. And so that's that they took all that treasure there, in my opinion. And I think it's been hidden a lot ever since that day, of course. But, uh, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of fun stuff. It, we could go a different million different directions to that. I, I've been studying that. I'm excited about it. But uh, it, it gets wild, bro. It gets wild, and I'm I, <laughs> I'm I'm sitting there thinking I can't put this on print. I can't put this on film. People think I'm crazy, but it's what the information says. So yeah. we're gonna go with it and have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I, I studied um, tarot and Kabbalah for a couple years years ago, mm-hmm. and so um, and so when you start and, and there's a there's a book by Manly P. Hall. It's called "The Secret Teachings of All Ages," and yep, I've got um, a copy of it right over there. Do you have the Do you have the big copy with the color print of all the symbolic paintings? No, I don't have that one. I need that one. Yeah, yeah. I've got I've got a lot of resources I can point you towards. It's 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 a big, thick coffee table book full of occult symbolism kind of paintings, and so the the kind of stuff because you know tarot cards there's there are symbol webs that you're supposed to stare at because you can, there are things that you can express. In symbols that you can't express in words. So when you show the Rebus uh, symbol on on Third Adam three X, it's like I that was very familiar to me. The Abraxas was another one, and so you know all these things. Once you start looking into the cults that actually believe these things, like we're not making this stuff up. Like I can tell you about the stuff that I studied in Kabbalah and Tarot. Like this stuff is real. Sure it is. Sure it is. And it's 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 still around today. It just changed its name. Yeah. It just rebrands itself every time it gets exposed. I think that the modern new apostolic reformation is is Gnosticism. Yeah. And I think that the demiurge that they are trying to, you know, that they're raging against is is the old fashioned biblical church. Do they That's actually say demiurge. do they say demiurge or do they don't say that word? No. Okay. They don't good. say it that way. They're they uh you, you have to like kind of read between, between the, lines the lines of what they're saying. Uh, but you, you hear Stephen Furtick, he never has anything negative to say unless he's talking about Granny's church. Mm. You know, he, he I mean, I, we put examples of that in Third Adam 3 about, you know, some of you used to go to a church years ago where God wasn't happy unless you were depressed. Right. Okay. He's talking about an old-fashioned traditional church that's not got a bunch of fornicating teenagers up there singing rock and roll music and, in, in a very poor way up on the platform. That's He's talking about the church that all those people came from who started that Elevation Worship Center, the, that abomination from hell. Um, that's that's what he's talking about. He's talk, Their demiurge is doctrine. Their demiurge is the Bible. And, and, and you can tell by the way they abuse the Bible and demean the Bible and dismiss the Bible, calling us Theo bros. And, you know, the, I mean, all, you know, I mean, 
a lot of these Pentecostals get mad at me and say, well, you Calvinist guys think you know everything, you know, and I, I, I have a lot of fun with that. And I, you know, uh, but, uh, I, I made a joke the other day to somebody, I said, I think Santa Claus is a Calvinist cause he has a beard and knows everything, you know, and, uh, I thought that was good. <laughs> so. good. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, people get so mad and, and, and they're, they're raging at doctrine. They're rage. If I have a verse that shows you plain as day that what you're doing is, is completely dead wrong. Okay. And I show that to you and it makes you mad. You're not a Bible believing Christian. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, especially when you show it to these guys like Carl Lentz and Stephen Furtick and all these other guys, uh, it just makes them so mad, it, and they, they they don't like it. They demean it. They attack it. It's because I th- I think they're practicing Gnosticism, and their demiurge is the old fashioned church and Bible doctrine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it seems to me that this that's what this deconstruction is. Yes, is that you yes. know deep uh, removing any notion of biblical teaching from your own mind so you can be free to buy into whatever the beast system is selling and feel good about it. Yes, yes, I, I think you're exactly right. Uh, when Lecrae talks about deconstructing his faith, yeah. um, I I, th- I think that's just code word for becoming an apostate. I, mean, I think that's that's all that means. And anybody who who knows theology knows what that looks like. Um, you know, I I personally don't think Lecrae is saved. I don't think he's a Christian. Um, and there's people out there who would get very upset with me over that. I, I have said it for a long time. Lecrae has no fruit that he's a believer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's a video out there. Uh, I don't know these people, but they, they like to go stand outside of rap concerts and rock concerts and, you know, wear Jesus save shirts and hand out gospel tracks, you know, outside these concerts. I don't know those guys. Um, but there was a video of them out there doing that. And it was a, it was a rap concert. I, I don't remember the name of the group, but I, I went and looked up their music and it's just filthy, gross sexual stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, raping women and all, I mean, just horrible gangster rap stuff. Yeah. Um, well, they, you know, they're standing out there handing out tracks and here comes Lecrae walking right by them with a cigar in his mouth and, you know, going into this rap concert. Um, and then after a few minutes, Lecrae walks back out and starts chewing out these people handed out gospel tracks. And, and, and saying, you know, saying, you guys don't need to be doing this to these people. You don't need to be doing, I mean, just, I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, like Lecrae was having it out with these, with these, I guess you call them street preachers or whatever. Um, and I mean, he, he was standing with the gangster rap crowd against the street preachers. That right there shows me that there's something wrong with that man. And that's that, that right there is the demiurge. That's what they rage against. They don't like the confrontational soul winning. They don't like giving the gospel. Uh, they think you're too judgmental. You're not loving that, that, that to me, that's a strong evidence. These people are practicing Gnosticism. Right. I mean, that's faith comes by hearing. And if you're actually out there preaching the word of God, trying to, you know, being fishers of men, you don't need to do that to these people. Actually, this is exactly what I need to be doing to these people. Lecrae, (laughs) right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, if we don't, I mean, I like what Spurgeon said is, he said, you know, if we don't go give the gospel, are we even saved ourselves? Right. You know, I think that's a fair thing to say. Um, and, and really, when I got saved, I, it just like, I sat there and I thought, you know, everything I've ever been told is a lie. I mean, everything I was, I was taught evolution. Yep. I was taught all kinds of stuff. And I was deceived and I grieved over that. I mean, I, I wept. I <clears throat> cried. I said, oh God, this is... It, it was, I was given a brand new life. And, and then it dawned on me, if I was deceived, then everybody that I know was deceived too. 
And that gave me a fire in my heart to go give people the gospel. And I've been trying to, you know, do that ever since. But I just don't understand these guys that stand against the gospel like that, especially Lecrae. Um, I think they're just charlatans. They found a, a niche in the world that they can make some money and they can kind of do what they love and satisfy a religious itch that they have. And I think, I honestly, I think that most of the people in the Christian music industry today are not Christians. I think mm-hmm. that they're just entertainers that are a little bit religious. Um, I, I personally don't think, there ain't no way in the world Chris Tomlin has ever been born again. That guy scares me to death. Um, and, and there's on and on. There's, there's a bunch of them that I can name. I mean, I've got uh, We the Kingdom sitting there. Uh, they, they post stuff on their Instagram. I, I, I called them one time, and they took the post down because of my live stream that I did. But this, this girl's walking around with Freemason jewelry on and, and, and a bolo tie with the Freemason G, you know, whatever on there. And I, I'm thinking, you know, these people are, are Masons. These people yeah. are Freemasons. Um, and then she actually, she actually reached out to me and she says, she's not a Freemason. It's just that her designer who gave her her wardrobe, gave her that to wear. And I just said, okay, well, if, if you say you're not a Freemason, I'll choose to believe you, but, uh, you might be surrounded by a lot of them. So I think there's a lot of nefarious stuff going on in this industry. It's not ministry, it's industry. And I, I think that this, this is what our third Adam documentary is trying to explain. Mystery Babylon and religion and Bible-believing Christianity are two separate things. But Mystery Babylon Religion is trying to infiltrate Bible-believing Christianity by imitating it. And if you don't know doctrine, you won't be able to spot the difference. And, uh, and you'll get lost in the ambiguity of the gray area between. And I, I think we, we got to tighten up doctrine, man. we got to tighten that stuff up real tight because that's all we have. And if we don't have Bible doctrine, we're, then we're just guessing. But I thank God, us as Christians, we're not guessing. We've got the truth. We know what it is. We're, we're not looking for the truth. We're looking in the truth when we have our Bibles. So I think it's time that we know it. We quit being lazy when it comes to reading and studying and knowing doctrine. We need to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be shamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And if we are not doing that, I think I think we're doing a we're 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 in dangerous territory. We are hurting ourselves and our churches, and we're as men. I don't know how we can lead our family and our children to know God if we don't know God ourselves. I have some exciting news. Reformation Coffee Company will be sponsoring the Renaissance of Men digital conference series. I take great pride in my podcast. This is a real labor of love for me. So I'm picky about the sponsors I consider for anything I do. I first bumped into Brandon, the founder of the coffee company, on Twitter, and it was clear he was passionate about what he does. And then I found out later that he's the pastor of a Reformed church in Springfield, Missouri. So it wasn't a question for me to order some coffee to support him in his ministry. Well, let me tell you, if he's as good a pastor as he is at roasting coffee, he's an incredible pastor. I absolutely love the Guatemala roast. And that makes sense because Reformation Coffee roasts your coffee within two days of your order and ships it within three days. But I think even better than their coffee roasting practices are their business goals. Reformation Coffee Company's intention is to be the coffee company to the reform community and convince churches across the country to stop supporting woke, feminist, and godless multinational coffee companies. This is everything that I believe in and everything that I stand for. So I couldn't be happier to have Reformation Coffee be sponsoring the digital conference series. To try their coffee, go to reformationcoffee.com and look for the section that says, put your favorite roast on drip. There you can register and set up a subscription 
and enter the one-time code SUBFREE to get one free bag when you sign up. You can visit the link in the podcast description for more. Thanks so much to Brandon Lansdowne and Matt Reynolds from Reformation Coffee for being a part of the Digital Conference Series. You said something really important early that earlier that I want to highlight, which is a, a will be a good way for people. It really struck me, and I'm going to be sitting with it for a while, actually. Um, so thank you for that. But um, that I think will help people recognize when they're encountering Mystery Babylon religion. You said that it's about enlightenment and betterment, and that is everything the New Age world was about. You're either doing something for enlightenment or you're doing something for betterment, both of which are fictional, by the way. No one in the New Age world actually becomes that much better, you know, like they like they, like they could for a year of actually like working, right? And I've never met an enlightened person, and ne- neither is anyone in the New Age world. But that they're held up enlightenment and betterment, and those are the things that stand in contradiction to Bible believing Christianity. And so I'm glad that you said that because now I can look at so much that's going on within Christ- different Christian churches that's selling literally enlightenment and betterment. When those aren't biblically based concepts, no, they're not. But if it, you, you take that, you take that little bit right there, enlightenment and betterment, and you go watch a TD Jake sermon, right? That's all the man preaches. That's all he preaches is you know there, there's a breakthrough coming into your life. There's there's there gonna be seasons of multiplicity. You know, there's gonna be there's gonna be a season of 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 prosperity come your that that's that's betterment. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, you know, and I, I read old hymns a lot. I, I love old hymns, but I mean, I read, must, must I, uh, must I rise to clouds above on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas. And then I, and then I watch a Stephen Furtick sermon and then, you know, your breakthrough is coming. God has something for you that's on its way and it's going to be more than you can handle. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be thrilling. And I'm thinking that's not that that's new age. That's you're, you're, you're promising people something that God did not promise them. You're promising them something that Satan promised them. Their eyes will be open and they will be as God's knowing good and evil. Um, you go to a secular side of that. I mean, uh, Tony Robbins, I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. Yeah. That guy, that guy is one of the most demonic people alive. I mean, I mean, I I I got Audible on my phone and I just out of curiosity downloaded one of his books called Life Force. And uh, I mean, that that's actually a code word for magic, and you, you know that being a new age, that's 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 the quintessence, that's the uh, the prana, the chi, yeah. uh, the ether. Okay, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here with this book, Life Force, right here. Um, you know, I just that's all the guy talks about the entirety of the book is, you know, there's there's a power in you, and you can actually you can actually you know awaken this power, and you can get it going, and it can give you riches and wealth and make you a better person and your higher, higher self is another key word. You know, I'm going to align myself with my higher self. Um, that's, that's what that is. Enlightenment and betterment. I need to put that on a t-shirt. No, I don't. That's not good. So, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) but yeah, that, that's what they're after. And anybody who promises you, uh, matter of fact, the classic example of that is Joel Osteen's book, your best life now. Mm. Anybody who promises you a better life every day of Friday, your best life now, you know, awaken the champion within, um, they're preaching the occult to you. Now, there's no nice way to say that. They, these people are literally preaching witchcraft to you. They are preaching Luciferian Satanism to you. These people are have more in line with Aleister Crowley than they do, you know, the Word of God. 
these people are preaching New Age mystery religion to you. And Joel Osteen, I think, is one of the high priests of Satan today. I don't mind saying that. I, don't. I think he's wicked. I think he's going to hell. I think you're probably right. If he if he's yeah. if he's if he's not consciously participating, I couldn't believe the things I heard him saying, especially the stuff that you put in the third third Adam. If if he doesn't consciously believe the things that he's saying, if he's just going along with it, then he's deeply mistaken at a at a minimum, at a minimum. Oh, horribly. I mean, we we put out a third a trailer for third Adam four, and I, I got a sermon clip of him saying, you know, um, God made the trees and it was good. God made the skies, it was good. And when God made you, he said it was very good. And I'm thinking, have you ever read Romans 3 in your right. life? For all of sin comes short of the glory of God. There, there's no understanding. There's none that seeketh after God. The, the poison of ash was on their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Have you ever read Romans 1? God doesn't look at man and say, you people are very good. Just enjoy that. You, you, are, you are blessings. You, oh, you just thrill my heart. The Lord in heaven is not looking down at me and you right now and saying, oh, you, you, you little sweet dumplings. You know, that's not what God sees. God sees monsters of iniquity who need to be redeemed. That's sound theology, but that's not what Joel Osteen teaches. He, he, is, he is a, it's funny because he takes that Bible and says, this is my Bible. It is what I say. It is whatever. And then he spends the next 30 minutes butchering and abusing the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's almost, it's almost co- comedic in, in how ironic all that is. But that's, that's Joel Osteen for you. I think, I think he's an occultist. And I, I definitely don't think he's a Christian. No way. Well, did you hear that they found all that money stashed in the walls of his old his old church or something like that? Did you hear about that? Yeah, I heard it. And I almost started a plumbing company in Houston when I saw that. Uh, you know, so <laughs> yeah, 650 grand in the wall of a bathroom. <laughs> Oops. How did that get there? <laughs> Whoops a daisy. I mean, I, when I saw that, I thought, what kind of cartel goes to your church, man? <laughs> right. Mean, what is going on? That was weird. But, you know, uh, I, that you know, when you have the prosperity gospel, the the prosperity gospel, which is ultimately what he preaches, uh, I can see how that would attract nefarious, shady, greedy people, and so something doesn't pass the smell test in that whole situation right there. Um, but who knows? I mean, there, nothing will probably ever happen of it. But that was definitely weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit like there's probably some things going on there that I don't know that 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 would line up with what God wants for us. I don't know if you're, if you're stashing 650 K in the walls, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I'm sure they probably spend that much at that facility just to keep the lights on. I'm sure. But, uh, so, you know, the number doesn't surprise me, but I'm just thinking, why, why would that be in, okay. Somebody robbed the safe of the church of cash. And that was, that was how much it was. And then like three months later, they take down a wall in the bathroom. That's where it was. Um, That sounds like something out of a Ocean's Eleven movie or some heist movie or something like, you know, all right, I'm going to steal the money. I'm going to put it in a wall and I'm going to come back two years later when nobody's looking to just take it. You know, that's just, that's just funny how that all works out. But that's just my imagination running wild to me. But whatever you think is fine with me. I don't, I have, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think, I think the important, the really important thing that you're doing is you're giving a name to what I'm sure a lot of people are seeing within Protestant evangelical churches today. Like, what exactly is this? We can we can look at it, and something doesn't feel right about it, doesn't pass the smell test, but there's a way in which our minds work that unless we can put a name to it, we can't quite articulate it. When you call it Mystery Babylon, Occultism, Enlightenment, Betterment, when you, when, when you say that, it's like you suddenly can see it clearly, and you can point it out for what it is. Like, no, that's, that's Mystery Babylon. That's not Christianity. And I can say from being in the New Age, 
That's exactly what it is. That's, that's a, literally exactly what it is. Like the laser light shows and, and the smoke and, 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 and the, the transcendent psychological states, all of that. That's exactly what we were chasing in the new age for a very, very long time. And it goes nowhere. It goes nowhere fast. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're exactly right. And I think um, uh, the modern music of Hillsong and Bethel and all that stuff yeah. is designed to put you in that trance. I mean, it, it literally is the Om of the, of the Hindus where they sit there and go, Om, all that stuff. There's that tone and it's a frequency. It's a vibration. And every Hill song and Bethel song starts out with that, um, you know, tone at the very beginning because it's designed to, to put you in a hypnotic trance. And you see all these people in the congregation, they're, they're doing this. And I mean, that, that's not the Holy Spirit. That, that's mystery religion at work in people's lives, making them trance out and, and they see visions and they, they feel things. And, and that, that is the occult. That's exactly what these people are practicing. And the, the way that you could spot all that is look at what these people believe, not what their music makes you feel. Look at what they believe about God, the Bible, and that gives them away. These people are wicked. They're not Christians. I agree. I agree. Be- Bethel, a couple of Bethel songs were really, um, were really important to my own conversion. I think one's made called Under the Water, and there's another one called It Is Well. It's a live performance. And I really liked those songs. They were, they were very, I never like bought Bethel albums or listened to whole, but it's like those couple songs showed up at the right time and helped push me in the right direction. But then, sure. you know, then as I got more into the Bible, into Calvinism, and, and into doctrine, I went back and I listened to those songs again. I was like, wait a minute there's something that's not encapsulated in these songs. It's, 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 about, a, it's about an emotional experience, an, an embodied emotional experience. It's not teaching me anything about God. It's actually about me. And once I, once mm-hmm. I realized that, there was, it, was, it was actually like a bittersweet kind of moment. It's like, well, praise God being saved from that you know, form of sonic deception. But I also had to kind of say goodbye to these particular moments in my life. But that's part of the growth is, you know, okay, I came in sure. through whatever door, but now I have to, you know, <laughs> to everything there is a season, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I've had to do that. We, we, all, we all have moments where we look back, you know, on something we saw or something we did or something we believed maybe five years ago and it wasn't right. And we think, yeah, I, I had to fix that one. You know, mm-hmm. um, I've, I've made a lot of YouTube. I think we're over 1,100 videos on our YouTube channel. And I look, I've looked back at some of the older ones and I thought, I can't believe that I put it that way. I've, I've learned so much better since then. And I, I've not, I've not had a major doctrinal change in my life. I'm not trying to say that, but I, I have, I have learned and grown in my understanding of how things work and it's helped me a lot to articulate it better. And uh, there, there, I've held some opinions on certain things that I've, I've changed. Um, I used to think certain people were, were kind of on the edge, but I've changed my mind saying, yeah, they're totally bad now. Um, you know, um, and, th- and there's been a few guys that I thought, you know, yeah, that guy's terrible. Then I think, you know, he's, he's really not as bad as I thought. There's been a few guys that I've done that way. Um, but lots of times it's just because I was just hearing third-hand information on somebody. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we all grow and, and we got to be willing to, uh, to let the Lord correct us and reprove us. And none of us are above that, you know. Um, and I, I always grieve when I have a bad take on something. I always grieve when I do. It, yeah. it, it embarrasses me. It, it makes me sad. And uh, makes me want to go beat myself up a little bit, but you know we, we're all grow, we're all growing, all trying to learn, and that's <laughs> you got to give me grace to grow. Please give me grace to grow and learn. 
right. <laughs> I don't know everything. And I pray that, uh, I pray that the Lord help me do the same with others. Absolutely. It's part of being a content creator. It's like we, we, you know, we're learning, we're learning as we go and, you know, so it's, it's important to speak forcefully and directly about so many of these issues because they matter. And so we work, we, we sort of strike out with the knowledge that we have in the moment and then we refine our technique as we go. But if waiting for perfection will get us nowhere. No, it won't. And, um, you know, progress or perfection is the enemy of progress. And, uh, you know, there, I, I've, there's been a couple of videos through the years I've taken down because I thought I just, I just don't like how I said that. And, um, you know, we all have sins of maybe having the wrong position. And then sometimes we have the right position with the wrong disposition. Mm. And I think, uh, I think I've been guilty of that at times. Um, and uh, I think, I think anybody who's honest has been guilty of that at times, but, uh, I want to have, I want to have the right position with the right disposition. And I want to be a friend to anybody who, who I can be a friend to, you know, if, uh, if, if they'll, if they'll listen and I can help them, I want to help them. Um, and you know, uh, that's what I want to do. That's my goal at least. And I'm trying my best to, to achieve that goal. I haven't been perfect in that goal, but I'm trying my best. And so, I appreciate the Lord being gracious and patient with me as I've learned to grow through the years. And I look forward to doing many more years of good growth and trying to be the best Christian that God will let me be. That's what I want to do. Amen. Same, same. I know we're getting towards the, towards the end of our time, but do you have time for just a couple more questions? Would that sure. be all right? Okay. Sure. So um, so one of the questions um, I, I did want to hear, so I've, I've tracked the third Adam journey and I did hear in the in the trailer for Third Adam Four, you you played that clip standing on the edge of forever, and you I think you merged a couple different clips together, musical clips. And I was like, I was like, you he sees it, he, he sees it, because I've heard some of the songs before. Can you talk a little bit a bit a, a little bit about what Third Adam Four will focus on compared to the previous ones? I know I don't I don't want no spoilers. I don't want you to give anything away because I'm excited to see it too. But sort of what the angle of this one will be. You talked about Shambhala and Third Adam Three X a bit. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, a third Adam four, the road to Shambhala is going to be about the work of the false Holy Spirit today. It's going to be about, um, what, what the goal of esotericism is. It's, it's to make you a better person. It gives you a euphoria, gives you a feeling, but it's not the Holy Spirit. And I think today what's happening in churches, um, is that something's working there, there. Ephesians two says there's the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And you even see in first John, I believe first John four, there's the spirit of truth and spirit of error. Well, we see that in our Bibles. What, what is that? And how do we spot that today? Well, we've, we've done, I mean, I've got a stack of research just right there. I mean, I've, I pulled this folder up. three small folders. I have, I probably have 10 times more than this just ready to go of information. Um, this spirit has a name and it's, it's, it's been working for the centuries. It works in other religions. It works in churches and it is, it is a, it is a wicked lying false spirit. And we're going to, we're going to explore all the facets of that. We're going to get into alchemy. We're going to get into, um, Druidism. We're going to get into, uh, Eastern mysticism, yoga, um, martial arts. We're going to get into all that. I'm going to get into Nikola Tesla. I'm going to get into the Nazis. I'm going to get into uh, Freemasonry, the Knights Templar. And then I'm going to get into the modern New Apostolic Reformation. These people are the most wicked things on the planet right now. 
these all of these people, the, the the Bethel, Hillsong, Elevation, Maverick City Music, Brandon Lake, Phil Wickham, all of these people are the most evil things on the planet right now, except they are manifesting themselves as, as an angel of light, which makes them even more dangerous than the Marilyn Mansons and the and the Lady Gagas. Okay. It makes them even more dangerous because they have the facade of good guys and they're not good guys. They are they are wicked people. We're going to talk about all that. Um, uh, getting into Tesla is going to be a lot of fun. Tesla is a wild that that man that man was not a scientist, not not in the slightest. Uh, he was an occultist, and um, and people who understand the occult understand that that's what this man was trying to do. So um, that's what we're going to get into. I have I have got a lot of work I've got to do on it still yet. Uh, so far, we've, I think I've got about an hour and a half of it done. Um, but I'm not even, I mean, it, it, it looks like we're going to be at the three hour mark for this movie. Excellent. And, um, if, if, and that's, if I take it easy, if I really dig in and articulate all the facets of this, we, it could be another four hour, but I'm hoping that I can get it to the three hour mark and see what happens with that. So it, it's, it'll be a lot of fun, bro. We'll have a good time with it. Excellent. Excellent. And, and may, may I ask you a question about eschatology? Yeah. So, um, so one of the big discussions going on right now is pre-mill versus post-mill, and and you know I understand I understand the dialogue because I think in many ways uh, post-millennialism is is growing out of a the response that many Christian churches had to pre-millennialism that we're just going to hide in the basement and wait for Jesus to come that mm-hmm. that it was interpreted in this kind of retreatist. Way and I'm I'm late to this discussion, but I understand that that's the nature of what's going on. Like, how do we come up with an eschatology that takes Bible believing Christians back out into the world? Because we sure. need to contest for the faith out there in the public square and not simply wait for you know for the rapture or whatever. I don't, I don't necessarily want to get into that. Mm-hmm. But what but um what do you think it is? And this is a dialogue that I've been having with a Christian friend of mine. What do you think it was about the the premillennial philosophy that that took away that desire for for fighting from many Christians? Because uh, I'm I'm late to this and trying to understand the phenomenon myself. Yeah, you know, I mean, I have a pessimistic future view. Okay, I, I probably why I, I brought not, it up. Yeah, I, I I do not look forward and see a, a golden age of happiness on the horizon. I see in the Bible, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Okay. Um, I think that the golden age will come after the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so I am a, I am premillennial. I am, I have a futurist view of the book of Revelation. Um, and I think that, uh, I think that, that all that stuff is yet to happen. Um, I know some men, some good brothers who believe that, you know, they're all millennial. They're maybe take a historistic uh, view of the book of Revelation and they say that you know all that happened in ninety AD or whatever, um, and and I I don't I don't see it that way. That's not the position I take. I, I'm premillennial, um, and I think that if you interpret the Bible literally, I think that, and not allegorically, but you take more of a literal approach to the interpretation of Scripture and prophecy, then uh, you will have to you will have to end up with a premillennial position. I think that's just what you have to do, and. Uh, but I know I know a lot of good post millennial guys. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think they mean well. I, I just I just don't think that that's what the Bible teaches. I think the post millennial some post millennial guys, not all, but some post millennial guys lead to dominionism, and um, and you know that's when you get into the idea. And and this is a stretch, so I'm not I'm not saying this is what guys believe. Okay, right. but 
if you take that to a point, the the Dominion idea, then really you don't you don't have that much difference between the Knights Templar because they're like, we're gonna conquer the world for Jesus by force. Okay. Yeah. That that's that's where, and I'm not saying all the Amelino guys believe that, but right. but that's kind of where that road goes. Now, I have heard all of my life, uh, all my saved life, that the pre-trib rapture and pre-millennial doctrine kind of puts Christians at ease and they think, well, we're just going to hang around till Jesus comes and, and just, you know, uh, I heard Alex Jones say that, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> believe it or not. In my experience, I have never felt like that was true. Um, I thought that was maybe a slight mischaracterization of premillennial people. Uh, I think we just did a Sunday school class at our church, First John 3, he that hath this hope in himself purifieth himself even as he is pure. So I think one of the great motivators for holy living can be the the imminent coming of Christ. I'm 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 if the Lord, if Jesus could come at any moment, I want to be found working. You know, work for the night is coming. That's what I want to do. It it motivates me to get to work, to make more videos. I mean, I'm sitting here doing third Adam four. I'm thinking I got to hurry up. Jesus is coming any moment. I got to let at least let somebody see this before I get it done. <laughs> so it's a motivator for me. Oh, look. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I never have, I never have felt like a preacher rapture premillennial view of the scriptures ever settled me down or cooled me off in the slightest. I, I, I've always felt the opposite. <laughs> so, Excellent. But I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't butt heads with anybody over it. So don't email me, leave me alone. You crazy people. No, I, I, that's, that's why I asked, because I think ultimately what we're all looking for is, is a, a view of the faith that drives us forward into the world as opposed to retreating from it. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 I sent a, a tweet a, a couple of weeks ago saying that, like, if, if Jesus comes back tomorrow, he's going to find me at my post kicking ass, pardon me. And that's why I call it post-millennial. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I won't put it that way, but uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best till Jesus comes. That's what I'm gonna do. There you go. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, excellent. Well, thank you so much, Spencer. This is this has been fantastic. It's been um, it's been a real blessing to get to talk to you and to get to hear some of your insights about these these films that you've been working on and your perspective that has blessed me and my faith so much. Man, thank you, brother. I appreciate you, and uh, God bless you, man. And uh, thank you for having me on. I, I look forward to to seeing it and see everybody's reaction to uh, the crazy Baptist preacher on your podcast. That'd be fun. <laughs> Not the craziest person I've had on. So there you go. Where oh, would I, you, I can imagine? Where would you like to send uh, men to find out more about you and what you do? Oh well, you can find our YouTube channel. Of course, just type in my name, Spencer Smith, on YouTube. Uh, go find us on there. Um, we've also got missionarysmithersmith.com, which is our personal website. Uh, you can go find all the, uh, we post a little bit on there as well. But of course, follow us on, you know, we've got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. We try to put as many hooks in the water as we can to get our message out to folks. Uh, but go find us on those social media platforms and we look forward to interacting with you. Uh, folks want to email me. Uh, we've got an email on our website that you feel free to use. We try to keep up with that and answer as many of those as we can and uh, try to be a blessing to as many folks as we can while we still have time. That's what we're doing. We're, we're busy. We've we got a lot going on. And uh, it's a lot of fun, brother. I I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm I'm having a great time. Excellent. Amen. Well, thank you so much again. Yeah, brother. Appreciate you guys. Thank you very much.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.